Good morning. It's so good to see each of you here this morning. If you have your Bible with you, would you take it out, please, and turn to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Um, we're going to read the first three verses here in just a second, and we'll actually come back to this passage a little later in our lesson. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 1. We hear a lot in religion and Christianity about the idea of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And for good reason, uh, all of us need to have a relationship with Him. In fact, the story of the Bible in many ways is getting back into a close, intimate relationship or fellowship with God. We had it in the garden, we lost it in sin, and now we seek to gain it back. That we might ultimately have it in this life in a limited sense, but, but in heaven as well. And so as we think about that concept, uh, I, I ran across something a couple of weeks ago that really floored me. We think about this idea of my relationship with Jesus, my personal relationship with Jesus. Um, I saw something that somebody else had put together about Paul's usage of the names of Jesus and the way he refers to his Lord, Jesus. And, and so think about this with me for just a second. In the, in the Bible and the writings of Paul and the things that Paul says in the book of Acts, how many times do you think the Apostle Paul refers to Jesus Christ as our Lord? So he's our Lord in this kind of group sense. Well, that's not really a fair question. You haven't studied that. I'll tell you. Fifty-five times he refers to Jesus Christ as our Lord. Okay, Maybe that's not surprising. Uh, he's always bringing it back to Jesus, right? But then we think about this idea of a personal relationship with Jesus and being close personally with Him. How many times in the writings of Paul and the things Paul says in the book of Acts, how many times do you think he refers to Jesus Christ as my Lord? How many times? 55 for our Lord? More? One time. Only one time in all the things that he says and all the things that he writes that we have preserved for us in the Bible, one time he refers to Jesus Christ as my Lord. I know, right? I mean, that's, that's crazy, and I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, okay, where? When does he say that? And I know some of you, some of you are already trying to look it up and see. Just, just stop for just a second, right? Not so fast. Before we get to the one time... I want us to first think about the 55 times as, as we consider this idea of our Lord versus my Lord and, and the implications of that for us. 55 times we see the Apostle Paul refer to Jesus as, as our Lord. And uh, I'm not expecting you to remember all of these that I put up on the screen, but if you pick up one of the handouts uh, on your way in or on your way out, uh, uh, next to the, the table that's out there in the foyer. It has all of these occasions lifts, listed. And you go through it. Acts, Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy. Over and over and over, the Apostle Paul refers to Jesus as our Lord. And when he says our Lord, he uses it in different ways. Sometimes he says our Lord in the sense of all the brethren everywhere, Jesus is our Lord. That's the case here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, if you want to read with me in verses 1 through 3. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God which is at Corinth 
to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So our Lord is is our Lord, all of us, all believers. But He doesn't just use it in that sense. Sometimes He uses it in more condensed or specific ways. Sometimes He says, our Lord, and He's talking about the apostles. Turn back one book in your Bible to the book of Romans in the beginning of that letter. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. It's like a little treasure hunt. When are we going to see our Lord? And to whom is He referring? Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. Now he talked about the apostles and the prophets, and then he says, our Lord. You say, well, how do you really know that's what he's talking about, Reagan? Well, keep reading, verse 4. And declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for His name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. Who all are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So He's our Lord. We're the apostles. We're the prophets. We have all this authority, but we still submit ourselves to the authority of Jesus Christ. Sometimes it was even more specific than that. Uh, If you turn to the book of Colossians and the first chapter, turn to Colossians chapter 1. Sometimes it was of Paul and his traveling companions that he says, Our Lord. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 3. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which, is, which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it also among you since the day you heard and knew of the grace of God in truth. Um, so we give thanks. In the name of Father, of Jesus Christ our Lord. Our Lord Jesus Christ. Referring to these brethren uh, that were traveling with Him. And sometimes it was Paul saying this of himself and the brethren to whom he was writing. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 18 at the end of that book. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. All you brothers in this region of Galatia. Amen. And then sometimes our Lord is used of Paul and the one Christian to whom he is writing. For example, when he writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1 and verse 2, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Yours and mine, right? In this area, the apostles, and then all of us. He is our Lord. But it wasn't my Lord in any of those times. It was our Lord. And obviously, Paul is writing to other people, and that would increase the the general communal usage somewhat, but it is striking, isn't it? 
You know, sometimes we as preachers, we get up here and we, we draw some conclusions from the text and we say, you know, look at this, look at that. And you look at that and you say, well, maybe I kind of see that. But 55 verses 1, surely that is not an accident. Surely there is some lesson to be learned from that. What does that usage indicate to you? That Paul says, our Lord, so many more times than he says, my Lord. Well, it tells me something about how Paul thought of the Lord and how he thought of his brethren. In saying, our Lord, Paul was, first of all, Christ-focused. He thought of his relationship with others in terms of his and their relationship with Christ. That's what drew him to others. That's the way he thought about other people. What draws you to a, a group of people? Now, usually it's something that you have in common with that group, right? A commonality of some kind. A common age, a, a common stage of life. Maybe it's a common sports team to root for or against. Common hobbies or a common workplace. Maybe it's a common race or a common gender, a common political party. But maybe it's something deeper that you share in common with someone else. A common cause that's important to you both. A common country or state to which you are committed. A common unit. A common team of some kind. Or maybe it's something even deeper than that. You have a common family. A common duty. A common commitment. But what about a common love? A common savior? a common Father, a common Lord. We have the most important thing in common if, if our focus is on Christ. We can find all sorts of other things that can divide us, that, that show us we don't have things in common, but if our focus remains on Christ, we see that we have the most important thing in common. We want to focus on all that other stuff. And let me tell you, all that other stuff ultimately doesn't matter. All that other stuff is going to be done away with. All that other stuff is going to be burned up. But whether or not we have a common Lord, a common Christ, a common Messiah, a common Savior, that is the thing that is going to endure. And we see that when Paul was talking about other people. I want you to go back to the book of Romans, this time the end of that book. In Romans chapter 16, this is something that Paul did all the time. He had traveled all over the world. He knew Christians everywhere. And so when he would write a letter somewhere, even somewhere like Rome that he had not been yet, he knew a ton of people there. And so what he would do is he would have these uh, kind of personal accolades, personal uh, uh, addresses to these people. He wants to, to talk to them and greet them. And I want you to notice the way that he greets these people. I mean, we're not going to read all of these verses, but I just want you to, sh to show you the way he thinks about these people that he knows. Okay? So start there in verse uh, 1. I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Centuria, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed, she has been a helper of many, and of myself also. So he introduces this woman, Phoebe, to them, and he says, you need to receive her in the Lord. She's from a different place. 
Maybe she's not like you people in Rome in some way, but you receive her because she's in the Lord. And then he starts to address people, and notice the way he addresses them. Verse 3, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They're already there. What do we have in common? We're both workers in Christ Jesus. Drop down to verse 5 at the end of that verse. The first fruits of Achaia to Christ. Verse 7, who also were in Christ before me at the end of that verse. Verse 8, my beloved in the Lord. Verse 9, our fellow worker in Christ. Verse 10, approved in Christ. Verse 11, who are in the Lord. Verse 12, who have labored in the Lord, who labored much in the Lord. Verse 13, chosen in the Lord. Verse 16, the churches of Christ greet you. He goes down this laundry list of the people that he knows, and what do they all have in common? Christ. And their work and their relationship in Jesus Christ. And, and that's the way Paul thought about things. It was, it was simple to him in terms of the people that they were out there. There were those that were in Christ and there were those that were not in Christ. And if we drop down later in the chapter, it's almost as if making all of these greetings to these people reminds him of one last thing that he wants to say. And so in verse 17 of Romans chapter 16, he says this, Now I urge you, brethren, Note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. For such, for those who are such, do not serve, listen, our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience has become known to all. Therefore I am glad on your behalf but I want you to be wise in what is good and simple, innocent concerning what is evil. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. There is this other group of people. Those who do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ. For Paul, the question was, do they serve Christ or not? Do they follow the doctrine of Christ or not? Those who do, those are my people. I'm committed to Christ, Paul says, and anyone and everyone who is committed to our Lord, who has submitted themselves to our common Master, those are my people. And anyone who isn't, I love them. I want them to come to Christ. And we can have powerful connections in other ways but those aren't my people because they're not God's people. I'm knocking stuff down. I'm so passionate about this. My people are God's people. Is that the way you think about your life? Who are your people? Um, I don't know if we can use this phrase anymore. People talk about their tribe, right? Who are your people? Are they the people of God? That's what God wanted all along. If you turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, this was in our good news for Christians this morning. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, you think about all of this hodgepodge, hot mess of different kinds of people that are brought together in the first century church. And Peter says of this group in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, that you are a chosen generation a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, his own 
special people. That you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Who once were not a people, but are now the people of God. Who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Isn't that good news? I know where I fit. I know where I belong. And it's with Christ and His people. And we weren't from a physical perspective. And to be frank, look around. In some ways we aren't a people. But now we are the people of God because we have the most important thing in common, and that is Christ. In saying our Lord, Paul was Christ-focused. But he was also others-focused in that, wasn't he? Paul was others-focused. He thought of others and their relationship with Christ. It wasn't all about him, and it's not all about me and my relationship with Jesus. We are all under the same Lord. We all submit to the same authority. And so there is no room for for pride or schisms among us. There is no room for me to exalt myself and debase you because we're all under the same Lord. As he said back there in the passage that we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, He is their Lord and ours. Let's go back and read that again and maybe read just a little further. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, let's read down through verse 10. And what we find here in these verses is a great definition of of how Jesus Christ is our Lord, how we have Him in common. So as we read, I just want you to look and see every time he talks about Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ or by Him, and think about how that shows us that He is our common Lord. Read with me. Again in verse 1. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. The church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God concerning you for the grace of God which was given you by Christ Jesus that you were enriched in everything by Him in all utterance and all knowledge even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you so that you come short. You are not lacking in anything, in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ who will also confirm you. Maybe your translation says He will establish you so that you can stand firm to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. That there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. That's beautiful, isn't it? And that is only possible because Jesus Christ is our Lord. How is Jesus Christ our Lord from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 in these first 10 verses? This is the way I see it. Maybe you... uh, Uh, would put a little different name on these things, but these are the concepts that we find uh, in this chapter. How is Jesus Christ our Lord? Because we all call on His name for salvation. That's the only way any of us are going to be saved. We have a common Savior. 
we all find grace and peace through Him because that's the only place where grace and peace can be found. We all find purpose through His will. Paul was called to be an apostle, but you were all called to be something in Jesus Christ. We all have knowledge through Him. That's where we have wisdom, as we talked about in the Bible class hour. We are all fulfilled, or uh, as the ESV, I think, says, we're not lacking in Him. This is where we are. We feel that hole that is in us. We all find that fulfillment in Jesus Christ. We are all established in Him. This is how we can be firm all the way to the end. We have fellowship in Him. We all submit to His authority because all authority has been given to Him in heaven and on earth. And as verse 10 that we read at the end, we all are, or we can be, or we should be, or we ought to be, perfectly joined together in Him. Look at that list. That is true of my brother. That is true of my sister. And it's true of me. Because He is our Lord. So in this, we can have unity. And we can also have community. In saying our Lord, Paul was Christ-focused. He was others-focused. But he was also community-focused. And I'm not talking about outreach to the community out there, but this family here, this spiritual community. Paul thought of a relationship with Christ as something that was shared and in common with others. Something that should be shared with others. And this is where we find that word fellowship. We are fellows with one another. We belong together. And we look to build one another up and bear with one another because Jesus Christ is our Lord for all of us. Go back again to the book of Romans, to Romans chapter 15 this time. Romans chapter 15. In the context of our church community, in verse 1 of Romans chapter 15, we then who are strong, raise your hand if you're strong, just kidding, don't do that, ought to bear with the scruples of the weak. No, don't raise your hand for there either. Sometimes we're both, right? Sometimes I'm weak, sometimes I'm strong, sometimes you're weak, sometimes you're strong. Whether you're strong or weak, we ought to bear with the scruples, not to please ourselves. It's not about me. But each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification, building up. That's what we're trying to do. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Strong and weak, bearing with one another, receiving one another, desiring to the best for one another in Jesus Christ. And all of that is an imitation of Christ and it's to the glory of God. That's special. You don't find that anywhere else except among the saints. And so how do I remember that? How do I remember this concept of our Lord that I'm supposed to be Christ-focused, others-focused, community-focused? 
It's easy. It's uh, COC, right? COC. Um, that's a little silly. But that's what Christ's church is supposed to be, right? Christ-focused, others-focused, community-focused. That's what we're supposed to be. That's what the church of Christ that he says was greeting these brethren, that's what it's supposed to be all about. And so I ask you two questions before we turn to our one time that he said something different. I ask you two questions. First, is this where our focus is? Is this where your focus is? Is this where my focus is? See, we can't help doing that, right? We can't help making it personal, and, and, and certainly that's reasonable that we ought to do that. But is this where our focus is on Christ, on others, and on His church, the community of believers? Or is our focus pulled in so many other directions that our Lord has become, at the very best, just my Lord? Because my focus is not on others. It's not focused on this community. And if I'm really being honest, it's really not on Christ as it ought to be. May it never be so. Our focus needs to remain in these same places where Paul's focus was. And then secondly, my second question I want you to answer is this. Do we view ourselves as better together? Paul basically viewed it not just as better together. You know, it's a good thing, it's a better thing, it's better to be together than it is to be alone. I think Paul viewed it more as only together. Only together can we accomplish what God calls us to accomplish. That you can't do Christianity without Christ, obviously, but you also can't do Christianity without other Christians. And, and that has been our focus for this year, our congregational focus, that we are better together, that we need, we need Christ and we need others in our lives. I have a, somebody who's very close to me, somebody that I love, that I've known for many, many years, who's a wonderful person. Um, and anytime uh, Christian things get brought up around this person who's a believer, they, they kind of put up their hands and say, no, don't worry about me. Don't worry about me. I have my own relationship with the man upstairs. And I think this person believes that. Um, I think this person does believe in Christ. And yet they do next to nothing with other believers. Is that possible? In view of the New Testament and everything that we are told there, is that possible? May I humbly suggest that the Bible teaches without a relationship with Christ's people, it is nigh impossible to have a relationship with Christ even in fulfilling His commands of collective worship and service and work, it requires one another. We are supposed to bear one another's burdens. Are you bearing one another's burdens? Are we? We are supposed to sing to, teach, and admonish one another. Are we doing that? We are supposed to encourage one another, exhort one another, and stir one another up to love and good works. Search your own heart. Are you doing that? We are supposed to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another that we may be healed. Am I? Am I doing that? We're supposed to show hospitality to one another and support one another. Those are commands. Um, I can give you the list of scriptures where all those come from. 
And those are commands that we can only fulfill with one another. But it's not just about fulfilling commands that we need one another, that we are better together. It's also about fulfilling promises. It's about fulfilling God's promises to us through His people. You remember that old story? It was really popular in the late 90s, early 2000s, and uh, people like would put it up in their house and stuff, and they're big, beautiful paintings and so forth. And it was the story of the two footprints in the sand. Remember? Um, Jesus and this person are walking in the sand together, and, and then there's one set of footprints, and this person turns to Jesus. Have you heard this story? Heard this story? Okay. Jesus, what happened here? You know, why did you leave me? And and Jesus responds, I didn't leave you, it was there I carried you, right? That's, that's not a bad story, that's helpful in some ways. But I think it's unhelpful in this way. I think a more accurate portrayal of what that story might look like is there are two footprints in the sand. And as you continue, there's a third and a fourth and a fifth until there are hundreds of footprints. And this person turns to Jesus and says, Lord, I've lost my footprints. Where are they? And the Lord turns and says, that's when my people carried you. So many of God's promises to us as individuals are fulfilled when we make ourselves a part of the people of God. And this is how God desires to fulfill His promises to us. This is not some, it is a duty, don't get me wrong, but it's not some box to be checked because God wants me to come and, you know, one, two, or three times a week, come together and assemble with the saints. No, this is something that is for our good always. That's what it's intended to be, and that's what it can be. But, then we have our one exception, don't we? Jesus Christ, my Lord. One time, the Apostle Paul said that. Who's already looked ahead and knows where that is? It's in the book of Philippians. If you want to turn over there to Philippians chapter 3. It's found in verse 8, but we'll read verses 8 through 11 from the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. Paul says after recounting all of the things he had going for him in Judaism, you know, like, I was up and coming. I was a, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I had it going on. But, what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Verse 7. Verse 8. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I, me, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I might know Him and the power of His resurrection. How does Paul already know the power of Christ's resurrection? He knows it, yes, because he saw the risen Lord in this vision. But that's not really what he's talking about here. The power of resurrection that Paul's talking about is that power of resurrection in his own life. He says, I've been resurrected. I was a persecutor of the church. I didn't know Christ, but my life has changed. And I am resurrected spiritually. A spiritual resurrection when I conform 
and submit to his death in becoming a Christian. And the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, he says. If, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. So he says, I already know the power of his resurrection and my personal spiritual resurrection, but I'm looking forward, and he talks more about that in verses 12 through 16, I'm looking forward to attain something else, the resurrection of the dead. That is no longer talking about a spiritual resurrection, but that resurrection in the last day. And it's not just that he wants to be raised in the last day. We're all going to be raised and stand before God. He wants to be among those who know Christ, who are raised with Him in glory. You know the two times, the two times in all of our life of Christianity, all the time that we are a Christian, you know the two times that it's only just us and Christ, at least according to the New Testament model, the only two times that it is us and Christ when we come to Christ and when we stand before Christ in judgment. Uh, we have these scenes of judgment in the Bible. And I know that these are put in terms that we can understand. Maybe they're not intended to be taken literally. But it is a vivid image, isn't it? That Jesus divides the sheep and the goats. Um, sorry to those sitting in these sections, right? So from His throne, the sheep are on His right hand, the goats are on His left. And I wonder... Um, you know, they seem a little surprised in, in Matthew 25 when Jesus talks to them and so forth. Oh, wait, I'm in, the, I'm in the goats. What happened, you know? And the others, they almost seem surprised. Well, I'm in the sheep. This is great. And so you're together in that sense. But the image is that we step forward from that group. And we stand before God to be judged for the things done in the body. The terminology and... Uh, of that scene is summarized well in Romans chapter 2. Go back to Romans again. Romans chapter 2. And this is what we don't want to hear. Romans chapter 2 and verse 5. Romans 2, 5. But in accordance with the heart, your hardness and your impotent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds. Not our deeds, but each one according to his or her deeds. Eternal life, on the one hand, to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not Obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. What matters is whether He is your Lord or not. And all those other things that might unite us or divide us, those are all secondary to whether He is your Lord and mine. In the judgment day, our fate will be based on what we do. Our faith, our decisions. And we must realize that the only way we can get to heaven is through our own obedience to Christ. Not our parents, 
Not our friends, not our congregation's obedience, but our obedience through faith. We each have to make the choice. And make the choice for ourselves. Um, we sang, is it the beautiful life? Is that what it's called? Uh, just before the lesson. That song struck me in a different way. Uh, you can think about the ramifications of this. Uh, our life is described in that song as the rising and setting of the sun, right? And it's life's evening sun is sinking low. I'm about to die, right? A few more days and I must go. Where's your sun? That's what I thought about. Okay, this is east. I'm 98% sure. All right, so birth is over here, right? And then your teenage years. You know, my, my sun's pretty high in the sky. Is it right there? Or right there? I don't know. There's always a possibility it's right over there. But in terms of statistics, averages, I'm, I'm up here in the high sky somewhere. Where's your sun? Is it sinking low? I must go to meet the deeds that I have done. And if I'm in Christ, I'm going to a place where there is no setting sun. That's, that's really some beautiful poetry, isn't it? Because there is no night there, but the image is of our life that we're not going to die again, but that we live eternally in the heavens. But only if I make Him my Lord. That's the choice you've got to make. The choice that Joshua calls the people to make in Joshua 24. And giving them some choices. You know, there's lots of gods you can serve. You can serve the gods of Egypt. You can serve the gods on the other side of the river. You can serve the gods of the Amorites in whose land we now dwell. You've got lots of choices. And you've got lots of choices in your life about who you want to make your Lord. Joshua says, but as for me, I make this choice. But as for me, and my house, we will serve the Lord. What's your decision this morning? If you're not yet a Christian, what an opportunity. I don't know where your son is, but I know you have right now. You have the opportunity to make Jesus Christ your Lord. Call Him my Lord. To submit yourself to His Lordship in humble submission saying, I'm not going to do what I want to do anymore. I'm going to do what Christ wants me to do. That's repentance. And if you're willing to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and Christ, the Son of the living God, then you can enter into a covenant relationship with Him by going down into the watery grave of baptism to rise to walk in newness of life. And here's the great thing about that. When that happens, He is no longer just my Lord. He is our Lord. You have brothers and sisters in Christ who are here to help you. And we all must make the determination in our own minds and in our own hearts, no matter what else anybody else does, He is my Lord and I will follow Him wherever He goes. But thank God. Thank God so rarely is that the choice that is before me as a Christian. Because like Peter, maybe I wouldn't do quite as well in that as I think that I would. But I'm not alone because He is our Lord and we have one another. And so if you're already a Christian and you need the help and support of your brothers and sisters in Christ in any way, we're here for you. Won't you come now? While together we stand and while we sing.